Hey, the Falcon has landed. And that's from Fu Manchu's In Search of album from 1996. This is the Requiem Metal Podcast Patreon Doom Series Special Edition. I'm Mark. And I'm Jason. And we are doing In Search of from Fu Manchu, which may be a little bit of a little curveball. A little curveball. Curve uh, it's all right. We like to cover all the spectrum. Uh, as we said, in uh, depending on when you listen or hear the winter episode, we we're recording this the same day, so we're kind of looking at... We love all extremes. And uh, it has been a while since we've done a Patreon show. We're probably off by a little month, but we figure Patreons probably understand because of how intense the... Nobody's caught up to anything Interviews yet, so. we've been doing. It's, it's a lot of extra work for the normal episodes. I know of so. one listener that's listened all, to everything so far. Oh, yeah? Who? You know, we have oh, constant compact. Well, I don't know. Well, that we've gotten oh, feedback yeah. from. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's all I know. I know I've seen several things where people are like, yeah. hey, it's okay. Take take a little bit take of break. Take your time. Can, take a uh, break. Take, yeah. And this is a fun one. This is like, uh, you know, this is in the spirit of summer. You know, Mark and I talked a little bit in the winter episode about how we felt like maybe we were ruining everybody's summer with our Doom <laughs> series. But uh, Hey, get your BMX bike out. And fucking, man, this this is like, this is West van. Coast, Southern California, Orange County. Van, Orange County. You got it. Um, yeah, Falcon has landed, um, describes Mark, a Ford Falcon pulling oh. a wheel stand and landing back on the pavement. Okay. One of the most potent openings I said in the whole genre, and we'll talk about this genre of stoner rock, stoner metal, stoner doom, whatever you want to call it. It's a quintessential Fu Manchu song for it's sure. It's just, I said, you know, when that drum roll finally kicks in. Like, you know, yeah. it does the dun, 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 and then that drum roll. I said, it's just money, man. The guitar tone on this whole record is makes so you want a shotgun beer. Perfect. Yeah, <laughs> God. I said, it makes my head feel cloudy. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like a little spacey, you know? Well, this, after I picked up like the first Blue Cheer record um, years and years ago, I got really cheap. And this is what I wanted it to sound like. Yeah. And it didn't sound like that. There's so. one, I think it's one I don't have that's like the heaviest of the Blue Cheers. And now I got to track it down a little bit. Okay. Um, it's the one from like 69. Cause well, the, it wasn't the, it was the first one. I had Summertime Blues Vincius on Eruptus, yeah, 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 from 68. Yeah, the, some of the later ones. And then the Randy, um, who's the guitar player? I got a solo record. Randy Larson? No. No, Randy, Randy Larson, Larson is, he's in Return to Grief and yeah, Cable yeah, yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. God damn it, Randy. Randy Holden. Okay. I've got his solo I'll record. Tell, I'll tell Randy that you said that. And it's very, yeah, yeah, missed, yeah. That you missed him, well, messed him up. Yeah, exactly. He'll be, he'll be honored. Yeah, Randy Holden's, uh, um, or Randy Larson is, uh, I talked to him on Facebook sometimes. Yeah. That's probably why I was thinking about that. But, um, yeah, man, Scott, Scott Hill, uh, the vocalist, I mean, he just sounds so ethereal. Uh, that's kind of his, like, it's, it's, but it's like a breath. It's not like Bob Dylan kind of like yeah, what was, your impression was, was, was a bad impression. But uh, I don't know. It's just there's something like kind of immediate and kind of like timeless about the way Scott sings. Yeah. Like it just it's like warm and fuzzy and it just makes me feel good. Um, yeah, I was mowing the lawn, listening to some of the newer Foo stuff. And I kind of just thought like, you know, this is a band I I. I can I can see where like maybe people you know don't get as excited about some of their records perhaps but objectively like is anybody really miserable listening to Fu Manchu like if this was on and you were just like hanging out with people and it was in the background like nobody's really unhappy no that's you know? and this is the first entrance 
of a Doom record into the series that's not a complete miserable. Yeah. It's like this is, you can go like play this in a boombox on the beach, hanging out with your buddies, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, you know? it's surfing, skateboard music. I can't think of a whole lot stuff. of contemporary music that has that vibe either. Yeah. I it's mean, not like weird pop music that I don't really pay attention to, but I mean, Queens flies this flag, obviously, and, and Nebula yeah. and a few of those others that, that are kind of connected in a weird way sure. to, to what Foo is doing and stuff. And, and I'm not going to say that Foo invented this because I think, you know, they're neck and neck, obviously the Caius and Monster Magnet, and they're, they're kind of the, the forebears of that. predates them a little bit. Yeah. Monster, I think Weindorf's the oldest of those guys, yeah. but, um, but and yeah, the, he's, he's much, Weindorf, I think is much more psychedelic sixties than then these guys are much more just like beach bum. Yeah, they're these guys in Caius are sunny. Yeah. Yeah, they're maybe not as well, deserty. Well, Fu, Fu's the beach and then Caius and the desert. You know, yeah, the desert. Exactly. So. But there it's like a it's like a southern California, southern southwest yeah. aesthetic, yeah. you know, or something like that. Ruben, we'll talk about him in a second. I mean, his fills are on point on this record. This is his last uh Fu performance at least on this uh This, this was era. their third Yep, third and I'll, I'll kind of we'll go through the history here in a second, and then you get tasty Eddie Glass leads near the end, um, but it's very restrained, you know. Doctor Nebula himself, yeah, and it's all about the glacial riffs here, and so I mean that's that's you know the fucking guitar tone. Uh, I mean the the big muff, whatever the I'm not sure what they so use, fucking but thick. it's uh that's pretty great. At least his first the first three records, the tone is just spot on. Spot. They get a little more. Poppy-ish, less yeah. less kind of. Like... I think uh, I think they're still okay on action as go. I think that's still got a good tone. It's a um, little cleaner though. It's definitely cleaned up production wise. This is thick. This yeah, is the yeah. thickest they get. This yeah. and maybe like their their debut. Um, you know, has has some of the kind of heaviest guitar tone. But um, basically, let me run down the history. Hey, let's do it. Um, so. They form in 1985, well, some component of them, as a hardcore punk band called Virulence. And um, Virulence featured Scott Hill on guitars, Mark Abshire on bass, Ruben Romano on drums, and Ken Pucci on vocals. Good um, name. I think. Yeah. And then uh, Abshire would leave and sort of come back on and off. Pucci leaves and was replaced by a guy named Glenn Chivins after uh, Virulence released their debut Pucci and Chibbins yeah C-H-I-V-E-N-S yeah Um, Eastern European meat dish or something (laughs) and so if this isn't a dream is the only virulence uh, release that's put out in 1989 we'll hear uh, a pair of tunes from virulence uh, in in a moment and kind of get into that and then basically they changed their name in 1990 to Fu Manchu and they release um, the kept between tree seven inch uh, and that's when Chibbins leaves and Scott who is already playing guitar um, at that point basically is like, well, I'll just move over to vocals and try it out. Kind of a, you know, Vincent Cavanaugh kind of thing. Like, oh, I'm already here. You know, let's kind of do good. it. Yeah, it worked out all right. And then they bring in a second guitarist at the time, a guy named Scott Vautau. Uh, Vaut- Vautau? Yeah. Um, and they record three seven inches in 1992. Um, some pretty funny names. There's like some of this stuff is, um, God, you can find it on. I don't know if I have their discography in front of me, but the, they just put out kind of a collection actually recently came out with like all of their um, more recent stuff or I'm sorry, all of their early sh- or early stuff. Manchu? Yeah, it's um, just, I was looking up the, the name origins outside of the mustache. Yeah, I'm not sure on that one either. If you find something. But yeah, they just put out it's called Return to Earth. 
um and it's 1991 to 1993 it's like kind of all their their stuff but i mean they had you know songs don't bother knocking if this van's rocking uh pick up summer uh pin buster senioritis um space sucker um just fun kind of stuff that was kind of going on like that and so they're putting out a lot of kind of seven inches and things like that um and then scott vautau was the guitar player and he leaves after those three seven inches and he's replaced by a new lead guitar player uh who had drummed for a band called olive lawn uh, and that guy's name is eddie glass and uh pretty much now you've got the foo you've got ruben on drums Mark on bass, Scott on guitars and vocals, and now you got Eddie playing lead guitar. And uh, they'll start, you know, playing a lot of shows. In fact, their first live show was opening for St. Vitus, and they did a cover of Space Trucking from Deep Purple, which Mark and I were kind of talking before we kind of started the show, but Space Trucking is almost like a, like a perfect like thesis statement for like what these guys are. Now, they don't have an organ player like John Lord, but they sort of just feel like what that song is yeah that's like what every yeah. foo song is you know um the thing that's really kind of interesting about them is you know you mentioned blue cheer obviously sabbath you know sure cream grand funk yeah. railroad uh blue acer cult they started as a power trio didn't they who's that fu manchu or they uh, was a four-piece nope they're four-piece okay yeah, yeah they're four-piece um yeah, I mean, there might have been some period in between before Eddie joined uh, again after Scott Vautau left. But yeah, they pretty much had two guitar players for, for most of the time. Um, you know, they were also pretty influenced by like early Soundgarden and early Helmet. Um, they were into like Laughing Hyenas and Melvins and Voivod and Tad, like those early okay. Tad records and stuff. Laughing but, Hyenas is Detroit, right? I think so. John Brennan from Negative Approach. Is it? Is he in so. Laughing Hyenas? Yeah. Okay. Well, the band, I, I saw a really cool YouTube interview, and if you sort of just Google, like, Fu Manchu interviews, you'll, you'll probably run across it on YouTube, and it was from, um, I think it was from January of this year, and it was a guy who was also, like, a, a Southern Cal kind of punk rocker that, that knew Eddie, or not Eddie, excuse me, Scott from back in the the uh, virulence days when they were kind of, you know, doing punk rock and hardcore and, and some of that kind of stuff, and... Um, he basically said like black black flag was like the key for everything. You know, he said black flag and uh, blood were the two bands that sort of changed his life when he saw them live. You know, he said black flag, like just the aesthetic that they were going for. And he says like, you know, even like stuff like, um, Oh, here we go. I think, I think I had a pretty good quote somewhere on if I can kind of find it, but he kind of talked about how, um, uh, shit. Mm-mm. Oh, okay. Here we go. Got it. Um, so this is from Scott Hill. He says, we love to be loud stage volume, full stacks, the whole thing. He says, uh, we used to practice. They used to practice in the same space that no doubt was practicing. And when they were like <laughs> a, a punk rock band and stuff like that. But basically the, the, the three bands that they were probably most influenced by, were Black Flag, SSD, which is Society System, D-Control, and then Blast. Um, and Blast has recently reformed with um, because of the reissue, and we'll, we'll talk about Blast here in a moment, but with Nick Olivieri and Joey Castillo uh, in the band. And Joey, Joey Castillo Cast- is a drummer in, in Queens, right? Yeah, and Danzig and Sugartooth. Um, okay. Which is, I love Sugartooth. They're he was like the drummer, a, uh, 
Did you go to that Grand Rapids show to see yeah. Queens? Uh, I think so. Yeah, back like in the, the day. Like the Reptile House or whatever the hell that place was? Because he was playing. It was like Songs of the Deaf era. I saw him on Songs of the Deaf with uh, that chef, uh, Forrest, up in Mount Pleasant. I thought we saw him in like the I, I saw him in Grand St. Rapids Andrews. I think we one? saw him in St. Andrews. Maybe, Maybe. I went yeah. with somebody else, but I remember seeing him because I was... I think the first time I was like, oh, is that the dude from, because he was, I think he was playing on Danzig stuff before that. Yeah, I think he was on Post 4. I think he replaced yeah, Chuck Yeah, he was Biscuits. on Black as the Evil or whatever. Yeah, Black yeah. as the Devil or whatever that was. Um, but yeah, basically, you know, Poison Idea was another big band, uh, Articles of Faith. Um, you know, he basically it's said like it's- like all Mark II hardcore stuff. Huh? Like Mark II yeah. stuff. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Say it's what he listens to when he's writing Foo records are those. So he's listening to Black Flag and things like that. He's not listening to like, you know, he he basically says uh, he doesn't want to steal from like Cactus or Sir Sir Lord Baltimore like consciously. So he doesn't like listen to that stuff when he's like trying to write. Do you know what I mean? Like he's he's very aware that like people are going to accuse me of ripping off these kind of bands. So I'm actually going to go back to specific sound too. So yeah, 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 exactly. he, uh, he basically said uh, he doesn't want the no threat of me ripping them off if I just listen to Black Flag and stuff like that. But he said Greg Ginn's his favorite guitar player, and he says Damage is his favorite album. He says that's the heaviest album I own. Like in you know, um, and he said without his playing I wouldn't be in a band. And he said seeing Blast uh, play live changed him. It convinced him that slower could actually be heavier. And so he was into like fast paced kind of hardcore stuff. And then when he saw Blast perform live and he heard the uh like opening kind of bass parts of um the song we're gonna play let me pull this back up um which is only time will tell uh from the blood record in 1987 which actually it wasn't called blood back then it was called it's, it's in, in my it's blood. in my blood yeah. yeah and then they re-recorded this um all right well let me back up so 2013 is blood with an exclamation point yeah so basically not the version we're going to play so we're actually going to play the newer version which is kind of interesting because i thought it was a cool talking point um around 2013 the original guitar player for this blast band that that kind of had a huge input on fu manchu uh mike Nieder, he contacted southern lord because he had found some master tapes in a storage locker and so greg anderson was a huge blast fanatic um, and the, the tapes were in pretty rough shape. So they contacted another blast super fan by the name of Dave Grohl. Perhaps you've heard of him <laughs> about mixing them, uh, at his 606 studio, which is where the sound city consoles ended up. Okay. Um, the documentary. And here's the crazy part about this particular version. This is why I want to play this version. Cause I think it's like this weird, this is going to kind of, this kind of blew me away when I found this out. Do you know who was in blast for a brief moment? The second guitar player was William Duvall, who's now the fucking lead singer of Alice in Chains. And he he was in a band called Neon Christ at one point. Yeah, I've heard that part. I didn't know. So he was was with Blast for a while. He played a lot of live shows, but he never actually got like the studio shit he was on ended up like not ending up on the the if it's in my blood. Yeah. So I thought it'd be cool just because like we've been talking about Alice in Chains. And it's such like a weird, like, what the fuck? Like it's funny. I did not know that guy was a guitar player before he was just like a vocal because does he play guitar yeah he probably plays with allison chains yeah he always plays guitar because lane lane played yeah because i've seen him twice with william defall so yeah i guess yeah he's always playing rhythm and stuff yeah i mean lane did a little bit too sometimes like like kind of like chris did blast also did a split with i hate god in 2016 i know it's wild so yeah small world right um (laughs) but yeah like and this blast tune you're gonna hear which is only time will tell like 
killer bass, uh, especially that intro, real heavy sludge vibes. You know, you can kind of hear it there that this is a band that probably alongside the Melvins and maybe that, you know, famous side B of uh, Black Flags. Um, uh, my War. My War, yeah. You know, this could have definitely pushed the, uh, the sludge kind of thing uh, a bit. And then it kind of goes into like sort of trippy Bad Brains s kind of leads, and it really kind of is like a noisy like am rep kind of sound to to it for sure. and stuff too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a kind of a cool talking point before we sort of you know launch full scale into the the foo stuff to sort of hear some of this kind of blast um, you know stuff. So technically, it was recorded in '87, but it's released in 2013. And the other thing we're going to hear in this kind of first uh, you know set of music too before we kind of get full scale into the foo is a pair of uh, virulence tunes. And I thought, um, you know, where these guys kind of came from being that Ruben and um, Eddie sort of came from them, you know, a, a pair of tunes to give you a sense of the origin points, because you can hear the punk roots, the hardcore roots, but you can also hear where like Fu Manchu is going to sort of grow out of a band like virulence. And um, yeah, I think virulence, weren't you saying, I think a collection has come out. Um, I thought I just I look I looked it up on YouTube. I didn't. Um, I would assume somebody would have at this point, but yeah, I think it's called knows? "If This Isn't a Dream," nineteen eighty five to nineteen eighty nine. Full discography. Yeah, I just don't know who put it out. Oh, Southern Lord. Okay, looks like Southern Lord put it out in twenty ten. Okay. So yeah, I haven't picked that up yet. I'll have to grab that. But yeah, Pucci, Hill, Romano. Yep, yep, all those guys. So we're gonna hear a pair of tunes from them: uh, "Blank Stare" and "Dead Weight." And um, what I said about "Blank Stare" was I said it's almost got like kind of an industrial vibe near the beginning uh before this really kind of heavy early melvin's kind of vocal sludge kind of crash comes in so obviously like you know the way scott sings in fu manchu that wasn't the way that um this original vocalist uh god i forgot his name already uh poochie poochie yeah poochie i just think uh uh wasn't poochie the uh the simpsons dog the simpsons dog that they introduced on itchy and scratchy yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is what i'm thinking um Sorry about that. Uh, if, you're, if you're out there listening uh, as a patron, which you probably are not. Um, and by the way, welcome our new patrons. This is our, our first show for several people uh, yeah. to hear our new patron stuff. So uh, we're not forgetting you, but you know we know we know you already know because you're getting this uh, episode exclusively. But um, yeah, and then this, the Melvins would be, I think, a foundational base for for what Virulence was sort of doing. But you can tell that this comes out of the Cali punk hardcore scene and not like the Pacific Northwest too. There's something still a little bit brighter about this than what you would have heard on like early Melvin stuff, gluey porch treatments and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, you can hear the black flag dead Kennedy's kind of slowed down a little bit, uh, almost like slowed down DRI suicidal tendencies riffs kind of in there too. Um, you know, I just, there's, there's, there's a little poison idea. Yeah, a little bit of that. There, too. But poison idea was, I mean, they're they're a Portland band, but they didn't really sound like anybody else at the time. They were kind of like a weird band out of time. Yeah, for they sure. They sound like they should have probably come out about five, six years earlier. But. Yeah, yeah, they were a little more more fierce. What did you say about Blank Stare? Do you have much to say about that one? Uh, I put Husker Du Fugazi. Oh yeah, post punk. Yep. Um, I've said the singer at, at, at times actually sounds a little bit like John Bush. Oh, it shit. might be because I've just been you. You were rocking out some some that just some Bush era Anthrax. Yeah. Uh, I put uh, a little Amoebix ishy. Mm. I think just the kind of like yeah, uh, maybe something from that kind the of loopy anarcho. kind of drummy thing happening. Yeah, I could see that, or I, even um, uh, rudimentary. Yeah, peni a little yeah. bit too. Yeah. Um, 
Then you get dead weight, and I think that one's more where you, I, the reason I sort of decided to throw this in, I think I kind of did it to Mark without forgetting to tell him that I'd update it. Well, there's always one. The play, yeah, I always do that to Mark. Um, Drinking game. You can hear this sort of definitely there. Um, if you didn't hear in in the first tune, Blank Stare, here you can hear the Sabbath and Blue Cheer uh, early in the tune. Um, but to me, then it, the tune really gets weird. It gets closer to some weird amalgam of like early Soundgarden Melbans mixed with Blast that you'll you'll hear at the beginning of the set, and even a little bit of like Voivod, uh, Dykreitzen kind of stuff. Um, it's definitely far too aggressive, I said, for the sun-baked, laid-back kind of attitude that Fu Manchu is going to sort of employ. It's a little too aggressive. Yeah. But again, in the early part, you can hear where like Ruben and, and Scott are leaning on some of the blue cheer Sabbathisms a little bit more and, and stuff like that. So um, so I thought it would be kind of a cool part to, before we dive into sort of building towards In Search Of, just to give a little bit of historical context. And, and for people that might not know who Blast are, or might not know pre-Fu Manchu sort of stuff. Um, and we know, obviously, patrons, you're you're our most open-minded crew, so you'll be down for this, you know, no matter what. So, um, but yeah, so let's get into it, uh, this trio of tunes, and we'll come back and really sort of get into the, the early uh, Fu albums. So we've got Only Time Will Tell from Blast, uh, Blank Stare, and Dead Weight from Virulence from the If This Isn't a Dream compilation.
Dead Weight, Blank Stare from Virulence. Then we kick things off with Blast. Uh, BL Astrophy Asked. Only time will tell. There might already be a band called Blast. That Maybe they were kind Perhaps. of sneaky around that a little bit. Um, yeah, so basically once you get to the Foo, uh, which we've now made it to, Eddie Glass has joined. Uh, they've released a few 7 Inches. Now we start to get to the, the records. And um, I was never super familiar with one, No One Rides for Free. Uh, I wish I was a little bit more because what I listened to kind of prepping for this, I was like, oh, this is pretty fucking heavy. It's like one of the heaviest things they've done, especially the tune we're going to play, uh, Ojo Roja. Yeah, I don't um, think I got this till pretty later. So you have a later you on. You got around to this? Yeah, I, I, I picked up Daredevil real early in the 90s, and I just never, I think I never came across this record. For some reason, you know, but um, yeah, it comes the it comes out on in '94 on Bong Load Custom Records, and I said this is really where the emphasis really shifts to this kind of uh, '70s kitsch pop culture. You know, um, I think I forgot to mention this, but like Scott grew up around surfing and skateboarding and dune buggies and and all that kind of evil stuff. Knievel. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Brad Davis, who will join a little bit later, um. You know, he still skateboards, you know, and, and stuff. I know a lot so of dudes like, in their 50s that still skateboard. Yeah, which is cool, yeah. you know. So, like, there's something, and, and I think what happens, and I think I, we'll get into this a little bit more when I, we talk about um, In Search Of, which is coming up in, in three songs here. Like, there was something happening for me when when I got a hold of In Search Of and Daredevil in, like, 95, 96, you know. I was... I was really inspired by like the seventies aesthetic that was starting to come back, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, even like cathedral was embracing it at that point too. Yeah. Days confused was like my favorite movie at the time. It's still one of my favorite movies. Like, it, you know, there was this like Quentin Tarantino was kind of bringing back some kind of seventies kind of vibes. Um, Jackie Brown brought some back in the for sure. Yeah. Beastie boys did the sabotage video, which at the time I thought was the ep- epitome of like, all music videos. I still think it's maybe the best, my favorite video of all time. You know, Spike Jones directed that and it was all seventies cop shows before that became before like the Startsky and Hutch, like kind of kitsch re got reimagining and and four times now or something. Yeah. And and stuff, but it was like, it was so unique at that time. Now we we live in a postmodern kind of meta, right? Like, like to me, there was something really unique pre-internet about like, BC Boy Sabotage and like Weezer doing like the Happy Days kind of like video like that blew our fucking minds. We, we you know, nowadays it's like everything's a joke, like nothing's taken seriously. Nothing is like sacred. Everything's recycled. People like stuff because it's stupid. Yeah. Which I don't. That's a weird thing for me to wrap my head around. Like they don't necessarily like it. They like it because it's so stupid. Yeah. It's like I like dumb stuff, but I don't treat it like dumb stuff. Like I like. You know, like uh, like shitty horror movies, but not because they're shitty, is because they were trying. And I, I like like the vibe of it's not yeah, just because they're absurd. Sure, um, but I, I know that that kind of like vibe of we like stuff because it's absurd or stupid is a is a kind and of a millennial thing. That's and there's definitely a fine line be, between it because like when it comes to like movie sort of stuff, like like I can really get behind and I, I could really defend like a movie like hot rod, which on its surface you could really like be like, eh, or like MacGruber. Cause I put those in the same category, even pop star, you know, like yeah. all three of those movies to me have like a similar aesthetic, but they're like, a, they're farces. They're not, 
their commentary. Yes. Yeah, there's there's something more there, even though there's no plot. And it, it, well, there's a plot to MacGruber, I guess. But yeah. um, but like <laughs> you know, there's something kitschy about it. But but it was weird. But was, there's more than just that. Yeah. There's like the kitschy entry point. Like oh, remember MacGyver? But then it's just it's taken to a ridiculous level. But like structurally, it's it's done it's done intelligently. Yeah. It's not just some dumb thing with like hey we've got a a cat in a diaper farting and saying hi. Jumping around like there's just some stuff now, now that's I'll so watch that video. I don't know what that is, but <laughs> I don't you've, either. You've sold it, but me it seems it. like uh, like the like the TikTok shortening of our mm-hmm. attention span kind of thing, where it's sure. just like, oh, I, I like watching this bug dance around on the screen or what, like what just dumb shit. Like I did, I I want more. I want there to be more behind what I'm interested in. Yeah, than just like this guy fell down and this is what happened because of sure. it. I want there to be like, oh, people, this is like a commentary on this thing that happened here or whatever just not just because it's look at that isn't that funny it's like the chris farley hey remember that that? (laughs) oh yeah man well i think like for me when it comes to like um comes to that style i guess of like recycling or commentarying on things like and i've used i probably used this metaphor before or this this i don't know metaphor but these examples before in some requiem episode at some point but to me, like, there's a distinct difference between shows like, um, you know, Big Bang Theory and like Community or Rick yeah. and Morty, because Rick and Morty and Community are made by like smart people that know they actually understand what they're mocking. Yeah, because they actually they're people like you and I who came out of bathing themselves in like 80s and 90s pop culture because they grew up in it. They grew up in front of MTV. They grew up with vcrs and renting but they're using it as a narrative device too exactly and they're like they're kind of breaking apart and like dissecting it in really interesting ways instead of like hey here's this star trek joke here's this joke about comics here's this uh hey like here's this joke about autism hey here like (laughs) like like I watched Big Bang Theory for a couple of years, so I'm not just you know. And I, I I I chuckled, and then it's, at a certain a, point, I woke up and it's it was the like, common denominator. Like, Whoa, yeah. What the fuck am I watching? And it was like maybe when Community came out, it like really woke me up, and I kind of realized like, oh fuck, okay. So like Community is a, a show made by nerds for nerds, and a sh- Big Bang Theory is a show made not by nerds mocking nerds, but they think it's like for nerds. Yeah. But I don't really know anybody that truly like us embraces what I would consider true nerd culture that watches Bing Bang Theory and is like, oh, I totally relate. Well, I think the thing is that everything that we grew up with as a fringe culture in the 80s um, became because this is my this is I've heard it other people say the same thing. But I was like, that's exactly right. Like uh, Alex Kurtzman and J.J. Abrams were like the popular jock kids that figured out like co-opted this stuff and made it popular yeah. to they they knew how to say the right things to the executives for them to like spend 200 million dollars on a star trek movie when before that star trek was low budget yeah it was about ideas it wasn't about action and explosion and romance whatever bullshit they put on the screen sure. um or like the um like family guy i remember seeing i, I did a podcast years ago called art and story yeah about comic books and we interviewed Bill Ratner, who played Flint on G.I. Joe, the yeah. voice actor. And I remember right before, right after that interview, I saw some clip from Family Guy where Flint was just taking a shit. Yes, in the bathroom. I, and I was like, that that's not a joke. 
It's, that's just, a, it's a non sequitur. It's a non sequitur. But not a good non sequitur. You can do it well, but that's just and stupid. Family Guy had some moments. Like, I, I liked the show when it first came out when we were in college because I was like, oh, I've never really seen a show like this. But yeah. it kind of wore itself thin. I actually preferred American Dad in terms of like writing and cleverness a little bit more. I actually more, really but... like the uh, Orville. I don't know oh, if you've yeah, seen yeah. that, did, but he writes yeah, yeah. and directs that. And that's yeah. so much. The Star Trek kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's basically like next generation instead yep. of the awful stuff that Kurtzman's doing right now with Discovery and whatever else is happening. Did but you it, do the Picard thing too. Uh, I think he had something to do with it. They're they're all just they don't they just destroy the character. It's like shitting on your your dad or something. It's just, yeah. it's just bad. Um, but the Orville is like it's sincere. There's some like goofy references, but it feels like Ernest. It doesn't feel like hey, remember Flint from GI Joe? He just pooped. Yeah. Like, that's not a joke, dude. Right. Like, Optimus Prime with a boner or something. Like, it's just dumb. I don't know. I just... Yeah, maybe, no. maybe it's because I, I had such a... Like, those characters meant something to me. Sure. And I feel like they're just, you know... Like, they the wouldn't community do that with Dickens character where they're G.I. Joe characters is way yeah. more... Like, it's made by people that actually understood G.I. Joe. And yeah, cared and they're about using the them there's for what for they it. are. Yeah, yeah. So there's reverence for it, you know? Yeah, it's not just the, hey, remember that yeah. crew. And again, like you said, I think it, it is weird. I think sometimes when he does live action stuff, like I actually enjoy the first Ted for the most part. And I think there's actually some like, you know, when you cut a, you cut through like the crudeness, it's actually like got like a little bit of heart to it, you know, like yeah, in terms yeah. of childhood and, and what your attachment. It's like a I never felt that family story. guy, though. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's just it's like a, you know, arrested development kind of thing, like a kid, the guy not wanting to grow up. Like, sure. you know, metaphor yes. for that. I thought you were talking about the show. I was like, no. oh, don't, and, don't compare that to Family Guy. God, that's a sacred no, show and, you know, and Ted's just like the, the loser friend yeah, that's yeah, holding him back kind of thing. But, absolutely. Um, so, so it is weird, like, how Fu Manchu and a lot of Monster Magnet did the same thing at this point. Even Clutch, to some extent. Yeah. Um, you know, and they're singing about Planet of the Apes and, and, like, Monster Magnet's making all these, like, kind of kitsch references. It's It's like... All of the culture, and, and a lot of it was, you know, not so much Fu Manchu, but I think maybe Monster Magnet was taking, like, an Electric Wizard does it too, like B-movie horror stuff. Cathedral. And cathedral, yeah. and, and, mi- and throwing all that stuff into a sort of a blender, and it was like, it was part of whatever this stoner doom, stoner rock kind of scene was, you know, and you've got spectrums of stoner doom, if you will, you know, Electric Wizard on one end, and, and probably the the warmest end is your Fu Manchus and Nebulas. And and this might not even be metal per se, but it's coming out of the same influences that all of those other bands did. But maybe they're just not going to the full level. But like, you can't hear the stuff that you heard there with, you know, virulence and, and stuff and not think like, these guys weren't into heavy music. They were in, they were listening to Sabbath. They were listening to like all that same stuff. They just, you know, wizard was probably listening to like, Bathory though too you know what i mean or merciful fate and like these guys probably weren't they were just like staying in the black flag and, and they're that punk kind yeah of, punk guys they're punk kids and yeah. so so, so punk, like punk guys they would go back to sabbath and you know zeppelin and stuff yeah. but it wouldn't it wouldn't usually go forward too much yeah they're almost like if you know vitus didn't get heavier i don't know like early vitus and some fuman i mean vitus is just initially heavier there's something innate you know, in that, and I, I don't know, that was a weird comparison to make. I guess I was thinking because they both are like kind of California bands that came out of like punk era. I think Vitus is more, more dirgy. Yeah, they're they're definitely yeah. more depressing. And 
Yeah. They're coming through a lot more like addiction and, you know, like well, things they're like they're talking that, about know? personal stuff and Fu Manchu's not. It's Just very... like Cathedral never talked about, well, post Forest of Equilibrium, even Forest is kind of like nebulous subjects. Yeah. It's never about like personal turmoil or anything. But like going later on where they, you know. Like End Time and stuff, I feel like, did they start to get more? I don't know if it's still like kind of just horror. It seemed like bigger ideas about those types. It was was never, it never seemed personal to me. Yeah. Um, But all those, you know, like uh, Urko's Revenge, like all the Planet of the Apes shit, the Hopkins Witchfinder made me go, you know, track down that movie and stuff. And it it was just blind dead stuff that they were making references to. Yeah. Yeah. Like all that stuff just seemed to be like, like stuff they cared about. It wasn't, um, I don't know. It, it wasn't like, it was like, hey, look what we like. It was just like part of, you know, a part of the thing. Sure. Like the next lot. It made, it's the only kind of music, I guess, outside of like Hooded Menace that, that really grabs onto one topic and can kind of hold on to it for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, I guess, you know, beyond the, the sort of 70s kitsch stuff, and I'm going to kind of get into like their lyrics and, and stuff a little bit more, especially like when we get to In Search Of, because I have a, a funny lens that we're, we'll sort of look at some of the songs through, um, which has to do with cars. So <laughs> we'll get there. Not Leonard Nimoy? Not. Like his In Search Of show from the 70s? Oh, no. You never I, watched that show? I I remember references to it, but no. I you never. talk about Bigfoot and stuff in it? I it had a really creepy They opener. did it on Simpsons. When it's Leonard, been parody Leonard a lot. Nimoy would yeah. come on and do like his uh, his yeah. kind of in search of kind of you know what's in the mist. Yeah, it was almost like unsolved mysteries. Or yeah, something he would come on and then they do little segments. He narrated. Yeah, I think it was too young for it, but I, I know the references to it. But um, I guess let's unpack something before we go do a dive into foo. And I guess for for any of our patrons who maybe are unfamiliar with the the stoner rock, stoner doom, stoner metal genre, um. Which you know really had its heyday in the '90s, especially the late '90s, early 2000s. Yeah, probably, but um, petered out around 2002, three, something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's still around, but I just think it like for us, it kind of became a little bit like saturated. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, for sure. How it was you... like with black metal. I mean, all the all the like death metal hit a certain kind of like fever pitch, and then sure, black metal the same thing. This did it. I mean, I guess like how would you describe that to to people? I guess, you know, who were like... The rock thing? Yeah, I guess. Like, what, what you know, besides, besides Sabbath being sort of the common point, you know? Because it kind of... I'm trying, none of the labels were particularly big that were starting it, but it was like a a subgenre that outside of... Because what else did we really have, like, with, like, indie rock, as far as, like, underground music? Yeah. Not, not including, like, you know, jazz and stuff, but, sure. like... We had that, and then like as far as like rock went, outside of mainstream stuff at the time was like new metal. Yeah, this was like a kind of like an antidote to some of that. It was kind of retro. To, yeah, and it was fun listening. It was the kind of stuff like when you didn't want to play like death metal around people or like depressing shit. Like this, but is it still like, had like some. But know, it had some, some balls. balls to you it, you yeah. could put it. And I guess you know I look at like Decibel did a issue a long time ago, and Albert I don't have the issue. It's one of my five issues I'm missing. So if any of you have a uh, uh, Decibel issues, you wanna which issue? Oh, uh, I think it's thirty five. Yeah. All right, people. Yeah, the Josh so I, I can give you the ones I'm missing uh, later, but um, it's almost like they took they they did a ranking of the top twenty stoner rock stoner metal albums of all time, and they have Master of Reality from Sabbath number one, which mm-hmm. makes sense because to me. 
you know, you take children of the grave and sweet leaf in a lot of ways, like those two songs kind of like formulate the sort of stoner component and like the kind of catchy heaviness. Um, obviously, you know, Sabbath already had that. Then you go into stuff that is far ranging, like dope throne from electric wizards, sleep yeah. Jerusalem, because those are making drug references, but they're on the heavier end of stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, then you got obviously blues for a red sun, Caius at number four. And we've talked about Caius, you know, um, in in previous episodes, you know, years and years ago, Black Sabbath, Black Sabbaths, and their Queens of the Stone Age. I mean, I think of any of the bands that probably commercialized it, it's them. They're Absolutely. like to me the most iconic on a commercial level of what they sort of did. And those they broke through without like sacrificing anything, too. Yeah, and I mean those first three records, really three or four records, but especially those first three, the self-titled Rated R and Songs for the Deaf are yeah pretty. I mean. Those are party records in the same way that like Appetite for Destruction or like the first Van Halen. Like you just put those on and nobody's unhappy, you know, for the most part. They're just like could be background, Mm -hmm. but you could also like listen to them and get something out of them because there's great riffs and stuff. Um, Then you got, you know, Blue Cheer, you know, that Mark mentioned before. Trouble, uh, you know, to some extent they're on here. I. Uh, would you put them in this category? That's that's one I don't know if I would agree with Decibel. I, I really I don't like the term stone. I think the term stone rock is stupid. It's, it's kind of and limiting. Yeah. Um. I mean, trouble I mean, they have psychedelic. Weed. They have psychedelic elements, but more like. But they're a heavy metal band. Those. Yeah. Yeah. I don't um, know. Melvin's Bullhead. Eh, yeah, maybe I don't know. <laughs> Hawkwind of the, Space Ritual. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah sure. That's kind of fun. Uh, the band Masters of Reality, which Rick Rubin um, did, had Chris Goss, uh, who would go on to produce like Caius and Queens of the Stone Age and things like that. Okay. Um, Ginger Baker was on drums for that Masters of Reality. Did you know that? No. Oh, yeah. That's a really fucking interesting He's record. such a fucking sourpuss. I didn't think he yeah. wanted to do anything after. Um, yep. <laughs> uh, Witchfinder General. They, they sing yeah. about drugs and things like that. Yeah. Um, what was the one song I, I love where he's LSD... Um, um, Free Country. Yeah, it's a great song. Uh, Spine of God, Monster Magnets on yeah. there. Uh, Cathedral, uh, mm-hmm. Ethereal Mirror. St. Vitus, Born Too Late, definitely. Yeah. Sing about stuff like that. Lee Found, if you go back to mm-hmm. proto-metal stuff. Grower of Mushrooms. Uh, the Obsessed, Lunar Womb, Wino, sure. Uh, Acrimony, that's actually a pretty good record. That is a good record. Um, Tamuli, uh, Shruma Room. I have that on vinyl upstairs. Yeah, Peaceful. Um, High on Fire, who grew, obviously, out of sleep. And then number 20, a record uh, perhaps we might talk about later, uh, Fu Manchu in Search of. So we'll, we'll bring that up. We'll bring up Nick Green's little review on that a little bit later. But um, So yeah, they picked so, that without... We didn't know that, right? Yeah, no, I didn't know okay. that. The, I was, I, Albert just literally emailed this to me today, and we've already sort of known. I just um, kind of assumed this was like the... That's kind of like the record. It's it's always really debated between this and Action Is Go. There's a lot of people that pick Action Is Go as the best record, and I I, I get why. It's a clear, it's an easier sell. It's more of a Queens of the Stone Age kind of record. I think um, I might listen to this one more though. Daredevil than the Action Is Go. Than either one. Yeah, okay. I think this is like a a great kind of like culmination of their sound. There's a little bit too much sameness, and um, it's not enough like Sabbath bombast on Daredevil, but yeah. When we get to Coyote Duster and stuff, I mean, there are songs on there that fucking kill. Like, I was listening to that this morning, taking a shower. I was like, yes, this is great. Um, but no one rides for free, all right? It's um, 
muscle cars, drag racing. You know, so there's a song on No One Rides for Free, like Mega Bumpers about muscle cars. Was it cash, grass, or ass? Nobody rides for free. Yep, yep. Um, free and easy, Summer Girls, which is, you know, kind of, uh, kind of captures that carefree Southern California sort of vibes. Um, what is it? Uh, Mega Bumpers, I believe, is about... Um, Amusement Park Bumper Cars? No. Bumping Uglies? Oh, there's another song on there called Superbird, which we're not playing. And Superbird is about uh, a spectator drag race with a Plymouth Superbird versus a Camaro. And then the song we're going to hear off of it, Ojo Roja, uh, is about hot rods and drag racing. So, like, a lot of the songs we're going to be playing, and I happened to stumble on a really kind of happy accident um, from, I believe it's... Where is it? It's Monster Riff. Um, is it a YouTube station or a It's just something, something I... Yeah, it's uh, Joshua Court, Courtier um, wrote the article. I'm, I think it's just like kind of an online kind of thing um they do album reviews concert reviews interviews rock history listicles podcasts things like that but about a month ago uh almost literally a a month ago um he published an article called asphalt rising the high octane meanings behind fu manchu's lyrics themes and albums uh june (laughs) june 2021 and uh yeah he just said in the intro he said fu manchu is one of the most loved and revered four-piece bands in the stoner rock world Formed in 85, they've released 12 studio albums with their debut, No One Rides for Free, hitting the shelves in 94. They have a loyal and devoted fan base that's drawn to them for their aggressive yet laid-back fuzz rock sound. The fans love the fun and simplicity of their songs, which are an excellent throwback to the instrumentation of 70s Sabbath and Blue Oyster Cult, while incorporating elements of modern punk. Their fans consist of rock and roll aficionados, heavy metal fans, skateboarders, and people from all walks of life. And so, yeah, this is uh, as a whole stoner rock typically focuses on, on instrumentation with lyrics tending to be more cryptic. There are some exceptions, such as Mastodon. I guess he considers them. They they dip their toes. I get it. Um, but they're beyond that. I stoner think. rock or doom rock. They have elements, you know, and their guitar riffs and things like that. But they're they're like they're like a prog. I guess. Yeah. They're like if Monster Magnet was doing like prog rock or something or I don't know. Caius was doing prog rock. Maybe I could see that. Yeah, at this point, Mastodon's kind of just Mastodon. They're just Mastodon. Yeah, exactly. They exist outside. But it says, most stoner bands put instruments first and lyrics second. Fu Manchu are unique as their lyrics tell stories. They're typically based around drag racing, off-roading, skateboarding, and BMX. And although desert highways and muscle cars are stoner rock cliches, Fu Manchu takes it to another level. Uh, he says, I'm sure the average stoner rock fan knows that Fu Manchu has some interest in cars. Their album covers feature muscle cars, dune buggies, and rocker vans. But do they know what their songs are about? Lyri- boogie vans, I think. He yeah, means. boogie van. I, I'll tell a boogie van story later. <laughs> uh, lyrical penner and vocalist Scott Hill is a true Southern California boy. Yeah, he grew up around hot rods, skateboarding, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Surfing so the truck. guy that wrote this article is a seasoned automotive journalist and he's a huge Fu Manchu fan. <laughs> and so he's going to sort of apply his knowledge of that. Um, you know, and he kind of talks about the antecedents of that, you know, Beach Boys and Chuck Berry yeah. singing songs about cars. I mean, Maybelline's about a car. You know, I Get Around's about a car. You know, a lot of those kind of iconic tunes. Even Springsteen wrote about kind of stuff like that. So cars and the idea of movement has always represented freedom which is a huge part i talk about in like blues songs 
you know, blues songs. He couldn't afford cars, most of the blues artists in the 30s, but they did talk about suitcases and trains and this sort of constant state of movement. And when you get to like 1950s, like teen culture, the fact, the fact is, is you could buy a car and this is in an Elvis documentary that I show kids in my class. You could walk out with a new car for $65. Brand new car? Yeah. Like a certain type of model that was like, like doable. What? Not a used car? That's what they claim in the, it's a history channel documentary, like 54, 55, you know, there was like like five grand now or something. Yeah. So. I mean, that's, that's crazy. So like a teenager's like cars for the first time, it was the first decade that teenagers could like separate from their parents. And so the idea of cars and being associated with teen culture. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Without going to work. Yeah. Without death. Yeah. Yeah. And the fifties were so affluent. So you had more disposable income. Sure. Teenagers were kind of getting away from their parents, you know, parking, they're discovering sexuality, they're discovering their own music. Well, and they're getting out of the city and living in suburbs. Yes, in suburbs, you escape to the, the, you know, parking, this kind of culture of that a little bit. Yeah. And so, you know, it's always been associated with kind of like the roots of rebelliousness and rock and roll. And so it's cool that they're kind of singing about that, but in a very much like a 70s aesthetic, you know, kind of like, like my dad, Pete Hundy, it would, he probably identifies he doesn't know it but i bet if i gave him fu manchu he'd be like i like all these songs. oh yeah man the yeah I, I get what this reference is this is about a plymouth fucking 62 that i fucking stole some beer in blah blah like that's <laughs> we should, i should do a patreon show where i just play clips of my dad because it's pretty extraordinary um but yeah so you know that's that's all kind of happening on this record and the guy that produced it um was actually uh kaius drummer brant bjork so he actually produced this debut record and um I just said it's it's really hard to be depressed and angry in that environment, you know, like it's why MC5 couldn't do Flower Power because they were coming out of Detroit. It was, you know, same with Velvet Underground. Like yeah. they're not no one in like New York City in the 60s wanted to take like LSD and stare at like hookers and drug dealers and like decrepit streets, you know, and, yeah. like Soho and stuff. You go to fucking California for that shit. And if you grow up in that stuff, like your environment is like happy-go-lucky a little bit more i'm not saying you don't have problems but it's just there's a veneer of it at least sunnier problems you know yeah um you don't have to worry about rain yeah exactly and so when you (laughs) get to stuff like oha roha you know it's it's kind of getting into that a little bit and so um that's their debut and we'll play a song off that and we'll talk about the song in a second but i'll kind of set up daredevil which is their second record um and that to me 95 daredevil comes out sound really coalesces here it's got you know a lot more of the laid back attitude that you'll come to like expect from there later on it's less like in your face like uh, no one rides for free is um you know stuff like travel agent and, and coyote duster that we're gonna play is just just spot on those are kind of two of the highlight tracks for me um i said it's bathed in sunlight beyond a few high points there's the problem that Fu Manchu has on, on come maybe these early records, and I think they kind of lock in on um, In Search Of and Action Is Go, is they sort of have non-existent choruses sometimes. They're just like songs that sort of float by. and they're, they're That's a lot of it. They're like kind of un, unmemorable, but I think they finally start to learn those kind of hooky aspects a little bit more on In Search Of and, and Action Is yeah, Go. Yeah, yeah. Um, if there's one like critique of Daredevil, that's and I love Daredevil, but that might be something I would say is it you know that, that could be a critique of their whole career is, <laughs> yeah. is the there's a lot of sameness. They're, yep, yeah, you for know, sure. ACDC and their sameness. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, yeah, this is the Which kind like, of I, I don't know how how you really 
like it's fine what they do. They don't. Why do you, I don't want them to do like Hawkwind or anything. Yeah, no. <laughs> but it, but it's also like this is the kind of record you could put on like around a campfire while everybody's getting stoned. And yeah, like, it's not. It's not. It's not music that demands your attention. Yeah, chilling out of beach. It's like atmospheric kind of, you know. Playing party video music. games, you know. Like yeah. I, th- I think it's like the perfect soundtrack to like watching Evil Knievel go over a fucking gorge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. It's like, it's like a kind of like teenage emotions where like big stuff happens for a second and the next minute it's. Well, oh man, no you big fucking deal. landed that trick. Yeah. You know, oh, let's party. <laughs> holy shit, man. You just fucking crashed your bike trying to do that flip. Uh, you know, yeah. like let's go fucking do something else. Yeah, you know? like push pushing physical limits and stuff as a kid. And... Have you seen that um movie that Jonah Hill directed uh, about the skateboarding kids? No, I've heard about it, but it's actually really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it kind of like captures like mid nineties. I think it's called mid nineties, isn't it? I'm trying to remember. But it's it's cool. It's about like a little middle school kid who like befriends some high school kids and is trying to like be cool around them and stuff. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, has a little bit of the kids vibe minus like the gross sex. Okay, um, I mean there is actually a little bit of gross sex, but minus not as AIDS much and AIDS and gross sex there. But uh, cool soundtrack. It's kind of of its time, but yeah, you know Jonah Hill. You can tell made it with like a lot of personal. Like he was part of that culture. How he old was, is he? I think he's probably my age. If I'm being honest, 40? so he's probably okay. like was in high school, right? In 95, you know, okay. when that movie kind of is about and stuff. But, um, but yeah, they toured with uh, Monster Magnet on the Daredevil record when it was uh, Super Judge. And so that kind of got them a lot of exposure through, you know, because that was a pretty big record. Yeah, it was know, a really major big label, record. AM and all that kind of stuff. That was big in like the skate culture as yeah. well. Yep. And, um, and then that's what sort of gets them to sign with Mammoth Records and then that's when they're going to release In Search Of and uh, we'll talk more about like the In Search Of record kind of when we we sort of come back but let's let's kind of set up this next set of music here let me uh, get to my notes here um, Oho Rojo um, and it's something a, red right it's something red yeah Oho Spanish yeah I wish I, I know Italian uh, but yeah Spanish not hit me but I yeah Rojo I've red. got the internet on my fingertips yeah, go. here oh my god we can look that uh, it's about hot rods and drags. Uh, it rips your head off with that kind of. I I don't. Do you remember the band Tear Gas? But the like. Uh, it's a black cover. Um, Mike got us really into it. Yeah, they're were they from Scotland or Ireland or something? Yeah, and then they became the backup band for um, Red Al- Eye. Is what it means. Oh, Red Eye. Okay. Yeah. Um, they became the backup band for um, oh Alex. Uh, fucking, he was like a glam dude around the time of like bowie and t-rex um alex somebody oh shit they call me the midnight midnight moses is the song hang on i'll look it up right now good thing this is a patreon this guy, show. UK? alex harvey oh so mm-hmm. uh, it, it's cool i'll play play it for you in between do you so it but tear gas broke up and became his backup band okay so like the alex harvey shit is like fucking got some balls but the riff in this is the same riff for Love for Sale from Tear Gas, which uh, go Google that. It's, it's cool stuff. Um, they lock into a killer groove with those hammer-ons, and uh, you're in for a web of, of full-on proto-metal assault. Um, I can kind of draw connections with like early Mountain and Bang and, and some of those kind of bands on I this. I bet there's even like a little Southern Rock, yep. Desert Rock vibe to it. Absolutely. Um, but when that chug starts at like the 225, I said the formula is set. 
for Fu Manchu, and you kind of feel something glorious when Scott yells, Casey, here I come. You know, and it's basically like when he does that, here I come. It's that's Scott. That's like everything. That's his phrase. That's his like, yeah, man. You know, he's going to kind of do it. And um, Coyote Duster, this is outside of songs on In Search of, Coyote Duster is my favorite Fu Manchu song. Um, kind of has all the traits right there. Man, it's just, yeah. It, I, I just said, take that proto metal, that that kind of Sabbath punk, you know, add some grunge, add some rich vocal hooks, add some drama and tension, and then let like Ruben and Eddie really stretch out uh, their their wings and with fills and mini leads. There's all kinds of mini Good leads solo here. solo on there too, yeah, at the um, end. This is where I think Eddie really starts to become his own. And you can almost see like a song like this is like the pre-formation of the shit he's going to do on Nebula where it's a little bit more free form and just kind of like lots of little fills and, and things like that. Um, it's, it's, it's organic. I, I just said the lead slay and the main riff fill and chorus are so great. The song's title is a pun. Uh, Coyote refers to the performance package of a Mustang Mark. Oh, and duster is to either Plymouth beat duster. someone at something or refers to a Plymouth duster. So the narrator of the song could be beating a Mustang with his Plymouth duster. My mom had a Plymouth duster. There you fucking go, man. See, I told you this is going to be a personal. She we're, had a, we're a red it. Plymouth duster that my dad fucking wrecked. Oh, shit. Uh, I'm trying to think. I should. I, I got to do. My dad had an El Camino at one point, which, God. I've always wanted an El Camino. It was fucking sweet. I, I was in the car with my dad one time, and this just this is a Fu Manchu kind of story. And he, he was like, you want to see something fucking cool? And I was like, sure. So he whipped around a corner, and he did like a spin. Did he pull a handbrake? Into like a like fucking parking spot. Nice. On, on the snow. So like he, oh, okay. he purposely knew, but he knew how to control the spin so he could, would spin it backwards and slide into a fucking Parallel parking park spot. Yeah. I was like. If people don't know, my dad was a race car driver and truck driver, and he's 110% more badass than I'll ever be, but that's okay. Um, but he's he's like Matthew McConaughey and Days Confused, grown yeah. up with like kind of semi responsibility. So, um, but yeah, so I think that's I think that's what the song's all about. So, and then we got a pair of tunes from In Search of, and we uh, we'll talk about Regal Beagle and Redline when we come back, and then we'll kind of set up In Search of, but. Uh, Let's get into the tunes here. Um, let's let's get into the foo for people that don't know the foo. So we got Ojo Rojo from No One Rides for Free, Coyote Duster from Daredevil, their second record, and then the uh, centerpiece that we'll be focused on for for most of the rest of the show, which is in search of uh, with Regal Beagle and Redline. Give up. 
Wanna ride? 
That was Redline, Regal Beagle, both from In Search Of. And then we started with Coyote Duster and Ojo Rojo. It's fun. It rolls off Rojo. the tones. Rojo. Rolls off the tongue, yo. Um, so here's a decibel. Here's a good friend of the podcast who we last heard from, I believe, on the soundtracks, the 90 soundtrack episode. Dr. Nick Green. Dr. Nick Green, yes, in fact. He did a nice uh, fudge tunnel. Yeah. Hate Hall songs piece recently. Yep. Um, I like his... He has... Nick has similar tastes to some of the weird shit like I was into before I like met you guys, like Melvin's, yeah. like. But he's also into some of the heavier stuff too. Yeah, but he's, he's also not into some of the likes. stuff we are as well. Yeah, and he does, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, he's just kind of like yeah. he's into what he's into. Uh, but he says Fu Manchu hasn't been the same since Ruben Romano and Eddie Glass separated the seeds from the stems and decided to set up a rival dealership in Nebula. The group's third full-length record is a surprisingly business-like affair with only one song, Neptune's Convoy, that creeps above the five-minute mark. Scott Hill's lyrics about muscle cars, extraterrestrials, and digging chicks take the stereotypical SoCal burnout mentality and push it to cartoonish extremes. While most of In Search Of is basically just a rockin' repurposing of Sabbath riffs, Stratostreak is so blindingly perfect that it remains the centerpiece of the group's sets over a decade later. I'll get to Stratostreaks later, but I can tell you that that was a song I was obsessed with in high school. Like, I played it over, and I thought about it. I had dreams about playing that song live. <laughs> and I, the, there's really a couple, only a couple songs that ever happened. Um, Thumb from Caius. I imagine, I had these, like, dreams sometimes of, like, playing a school assembly and just getting like everybody in the school assembly who maybe didn't give a shit about me to be like bobbing their heads like and like having this singular shared moment where like everybody just felt like being at like a was it successful in your dream? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think because mine were always like like oh here abject failure. <laughs> you can play bass, right? It's like sure, and then I'm on bass, but I have no fucking idea what I'm doing, and I wake up just as I'm failing hard. Yeah. So you you can see our different personalities coming through. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh shit! <laughs> ah shit! Um, what was I gonna say? Oh, I had a cool quote here that I forgot to sort of share. This is uh so in search of now that we're there, they signed with Mammoth Records, like I said, and um, this is definitely the most gearhead centric album. Um, the cover, obviously, you know, is iconic—a drag race between a Ford Mustang and a Chevy Chevelle with a hot chick. Yeah, with a hot chick who's wearing like a tank top or something, right, or a bikini top. She's ready. Oh, bikini tap and some jeans. She's ready to party at the beach. Yep. Um, it's you know it's one of the masterpieces of stoner metal or Dennis De- desert rock or, or whatever you want to call this. Um, fuzzy guitars, Scott vocals at their most chill. Uh, probably the most high octane drumming that they ever got from Ruben. Um, every song on the album references sort of cars. Um, <laughs> classic rock metal hammer louder did a feature on 10 essential stoner rock albums. And this made the, the 10 essential, uh, thing. And Malcolm dome wrote a, a little, um, piece on it. People know Malcolm dome. He's the bald guy with glasses. With who's, fucking bizarre as fuck teeth. Yeah. But he's, <laughs> but he's super excited and he's always in like, um, it's like in new album stuff all the time. Yeah. He's in punk documentaries sometimes too. And, yeah. and metal and things like that. But, um, he, he was says, from Krang originally. Is that what I was? think so? Yep. Yeah, because this is our Metal Hammer is what he's doing for okay. here. But yeah, Krang, probably Metal Hammer, some of the same people. One of those bands who are always regarded as prime movers in stoner music, Fu Manchu, have never really delivered a classic record. This one, though, came close. With Eddie Glass and Ruben Romano making their farewells before quitting to start Nebula, 
The band had a decisive edge. Here they conquered a predilection for overindulgence and in the process avoided the lack of focus that undermined what could be achieved. The band never uh, again got this close to achieving their potential. You know, it's debatable, but it's, it's, it's kind of, I get what he's kind of saying there a little bit. Um, There's a great quote I was going to mention before. I, I think I have it here. Oh, from Bob, Bob Bulk, who will become the guitar player, I think, after Action Is Go. Or maybe Action Is Go is the, I think he's the guy that replaces uh, Eddie. Bob Bulk? Yeah, Bob Bulk. Yep. So I think he's on Action Is Go. So he's been with them the whole time. And he's in a bunch of interviews today. So he's kind of one of the people. But he, he has this great quote that I think sums up like what Fu Manchu is kind of all about. He says, if Beavis and Butthead can't sing the riff on their couch, it's not good enough for Fu Manchu. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of what they're they're sort of going for. And then um, Jeff Turek from Treble Zine, uh, which is I did some research and found this. He said, California riff mongers Fu Manchu lived a past life as a punk band called Virulence, a name that likely would have transferred just fine into metal should they have chosen to walk the left-hand path. Rather than dive head-on and horns first into thrash or death metal, however, the band cranked up the big muffs and orange amps and instead sought refuge in the sounds of vintage and proto-metal, such as Blue Cheer or the gods of all things heavy Black Sabbath. In Search Of is a bit, bit like what an entire album's worth of Sweet Leafs might sound like, and it's pretty badass. The fuzz is thick and burly, the rhythm's slow and grooving, and presumably the substances behind it are all California grown. All that's missing is the Stars and Stripes headband and the airbrush wizard. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple of little write ups sums up pretty good. Of. So I guess Yeah, Fu Man choose the they should if they when they toured they should have drove around a band with a band uh, or the wizard on the side of it. Yeah, no shit. Yeah. yeah. This it's really funny. Um I was listening to, I think it was Pure Cinema Podcast, um, and they were doing an episode, I think, on, it's the it's the guys from the New Beverly Cinema out that Tarantino's kind of a big part of out in uh, L.A. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. They yeah. curate a bunch of film festivals and, mm-hmm. and th- different things like that, so it's the guys work there, and then they, they host this podcast. Um, and they had... Um, they were talking about Mike McFadden's book, the, the the teen comedy book and stuff, and they were kind of like segmenting those kind of movies into movies that reference like Vans, and so they have like a subgenre of movies that have like um like boogie Vans or like Vans that are like like have stuff like airbrushed on the side as like a minor plot point. And then they were okay. like, there was like subcategorizing ones that like feature a nerd ones. that, And it was, it was a pretty interesting discussion, but I didn't realize there was a whole subgenre of like teen movies in the seventies, not so much the eighties yeah. that were sort of centered around van oriented stuff. That one well, van I, was like the, it was like the affordable RV. Yeah. Well, but also there's a could bang in the back. Well, yeah, you put which, shit, they have shag carpet yeah, and stuff exactly. inside there. Like and you could, could, if you smoke back and, there, you could put surfboard. Exa- I mean, there was a whole... It's kind uh, of like a little uh, mini camper. Yeah, really. I think on, on Prime, there's this whole... I started watching it and turned it off because it was so bad. Um, but it was just all about van culture. Okay. And it started out, I thought it was going to be like all... It like started out with Fu Manchu-ish Fu- kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. And <laughs> all these like, you know, weird throwback dudes like hanging out on the beach in their van. And then it became like weird Midwest people design like 
turning their vans into like oh it was just like you know, yeah okay a, yeah that's not what i'm into yeah i want the, like the the boogie van yeah the know, weird like the... hedonists or whatever sure. hanging out and doing their shit in the van not like weekend warrior van people that we like we're irish so we have irish themed van i was like oh, god kill yourself how did you how did you discover fu manchu what's your entryway because i know mine but i don't I honestly don't remember. I think it was probably uh was it through metal people or maniacs? I think it was through some like metal that? thing like okay. uh were they in any movies soundtracks? I don't or? think so. Not not the way other bands were in that era. Cause I think they were too small. I honestly don't remember. Yeah. It might I think it might have had something to do with skateboarding or Okay. You know were guys you were hanging out with in high school into stuff like this much? I could see them like Fu Manchu being like the soundtrack to a skate video. Okay. Or something. Yeah, maybe they were in a skate. I honestly video. don't remember where I came where I first came across them. So I was reading Rolling Stone magazine when I was cool in high school and had a subscription to Ooh. Rolling Stone magazine. Baller. Yeah. Uh I was a real baller. Uh I also had a subscription to Details magazine. Do you remember that magazine? Little men's magazine? Oh yeah. But it was like young twenties, you know. Is so it they would like, have like uh, articles on like pavement. And okay. Like, uh, How to unhook a bra with one hand? Yeah, probably. Yeah. There. Yeah. What was the other? Is it like a precursor to Maxim or something? I think it was. It was less trashy. It was actually Maxim like, was just kind of trash. It was pure trash. Yeah, I never read Maxim. But it was so trashy, like it was borderline. Like, why not just get a, why not a just titty go, rag? Yeah, just go like Playboy. Yeah, it was like a Playboy with, for like college kids. Like or at least like Playboy that. had good like writers in it. Yeah, and yeah. it also had tits. So yeah, like, Maxim had neither. Like it, it hinted at stuff. It was like but it PG never, thirteen. Yeah, I just I hated the subculture around it too. It was yeah, just yeah. like ugh. it was kind of like frat guy. Yeah, magazine exactly. Stuff. I think I, I have like, one Maxim magazine because it was the one they had a bunch of people from Buffy. Okay. So it was like actresses from Buffy, like half naked. And I was like, well, <laughs> it was the kind of magazine. I'll check my morals at the door for this one. They would know? have cologne. Uh, yeah. Packets inside. Details which, had that, but they it smelled good. It wasn't like axe, you know. Uh, this, this was just like this was stuff like you'd open up and throw them at people to fight with and I stuff. I think I I think I may have accidentally started buying details because Cindy Crawford was on the the cover, and I may or may not have had an unhealthy obsession with Cindy Crawford in middle school. I think a lot of people did to the point where I had her I had her calendar, and I like cut out her calendar and had all of twelve of the pictures in my room. I had a fuck. Like my mom was probably like, "Well, at least he's not gay, but this is pretty fucked up," you know. Some I'm sure I never something. had. A, I think I was too self conscious to have like girly posters on the wall. I mean, it was mixed. I mean, it was like next to anathema and shit. So like, okay. I, I kind of. Well, at a certain point, I, I had my my mom was so pissed, but I had my entire bedroom was covered with like metal maniacs things. To, yeah, instead of taping collage. them on the wall. I stapled them to the wall. Oh, see, I pinned them, so I left holes. I did too, but it was harder to pull out. And then after a while, I started painting murals on my wall. I I went full ceiling too. So like... I started and I got bitched out and that's when I put a lock on my door. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. But my closet was... I took all my... um, What the fucking CD case is called? Uh, Gems? No, the big big cardboard things. Oh, shit. Uh, Long boxes? Long boxes. I would take the long boxes and I'd... Slid them down the side and like butterfly them open and glue them oh. up on the inside of my closet. I missed the long box era because I didn't get a CD player till like 95. They were okay. pretty much phased out by It was then. a kind of a cool era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you get all that extra art and yeah. whatever, but. No, I think about like, I mean, you know, I look at like the shit where we're at in the basement and it's, it's, 
pretty, you know, it's action packed with a lot of, there's yeah. a lot happening and people have ever seen my classroom. My classroom is just fucking like collaged, you know, I've covered like as much wall space as possible, but I just think about like, it was metal. It was Cindy Crawford. It was a little comic stuff here, but I was kind of phasing out of that. Cause I wanted to like start bringing girls back, you know, home and stuff. And I just think about like, if I was a girl and I was hanging out in my room in high school, you know, and I, like trying to make out on the bed and I'm looking up and all I see is just like, there's not a space, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like I, I wasn't thinking about that stuff at that point. You I, know, mean, I, I think, didn't like clean my room up for girls or anything. I think a lot of girls did. I mean, girls I dated in high school did it. the same stuff. Yeah, that's true. You know? I remember like thinking like girls rooms would be neat. And then like going to girls house, I was like, holy shit, there's like piles of clothes you know, on the ground and stuff. You the, know? the most like filthy sloppy people slobby people i've ever met have been girls really yeah that's fine as far as like just piles of fucking clothes everywhere yeah, and like true. you know sometimes the bathroom situation like the sink will be like a disaster area with yeah and like there's just hair like spray makeup and crap all yeah. over the place and i don't want to cast aspersion but but you know no but yeah, i've yeah. yeah it's it's i've definitely had you know shitty male roommates but like there's some girls I dated. I was just like, wow. <laughs> and I think, you know, it was probably was weird is that my mom is like, not that my mom's like, she's on top of it. She's on fucking Greek cleaning machine, yeah. you know? And so like, I just made the assumption that all girls are probably like that. And I think some of the girls I dated in high school were fairly clean, but then I yeah. started dating a few that were like, yeah, I'll just throw this here. I was like, okay. It was kind of liberating. I was like, I mean, Oh cool. I think it they're, depends they're on, as lazy as I am. So on how they're, how they're raised. Like 100%. my, my parents are very fastidious about everything. Yeah. Um, like before every Christmas, we would have to get rid of a box of stuff before we got new stuff in. Oh, and man, that was tough trying to. I would hide like I could keep all my action figures I want hidden underneath this thing and put like just junk and like socks and like you can't take socks. You <laughs> yeah, got to put. You in need stuff. those. You need it's those. Like, oh fuck! I remember my mom got rid of all my He Man shit without telling me. It was just like a moment, and I kind of it was struggle. She was like, "Well, you." You don't play with those anymore. You've been playing with GI Joes now, so like I, I, well, and I was like, like I didn't know, how, like I didn't cry or anything, but I just think I was like petrified. I was like, what does this mean? It was like such it's your a first feeling moment. of loss. Yeah, it was like a pivotal <laughs> fucking moment. I think most of my that my stuff, I usually destroyed it before. Uh, like I got a BB gun when I was probably like nine or something, and it would take you know He Man and GI Joe, and I've got like a magnifying glass, figure out how to melt them. God. You used then, to fucking use gasoline on Battle Beasts. And I don't know why. I fucking love Battle Beasts. We what would, was I doing to them? Why? Those are expensive <laughs> as shit right now. I too. know. But but you were using them. You're you're having you're fun having fun as a I was, kid. I was which just, is, doing some experimental shit. We've, yeah. The neighbors had, uh, I lived fairly out in the country. So we had like farms and stuff around. Yeah. And uh, we would get like shotgun shells and empty out the the shot from the uh, the gunpowder and blow stuff up and like. You get uh like we found like Zippo fluid for the first time and you could like draw with it and then light it on fire and it would just burn that stuff. Yeah. You could put it in your hand and it wouldn't burn your hand. Oh yeah. So we were we you just destroyed fucking everything. Yeah, you push yeah. limits. And we've talked about that before, like the silo. I killed a live and frog and I wasn't happy about it, but I needed to do it just to figure out I should never do that again. I killed a fish once. Like I Well, was... the frog I caught on a fishing pole and oh. I was too scared to pull it off the hook and I just flung it around until it flew off on a oh, rock. Oh shit. <laughs> But I still remember it, so it's yeah, like, yeah, it, it, yeah. It's, it, that was the last. Like, I'm burned with those that, memories. That was like one of the last animals I think I ever killed. I never hunted. I don't really fish anymore. So yeah, I kind of yeah. Other than I tried meat. fishing a couple of years ago. Yeah, I suck. 
I'm a, I, I don't mind it. Uh, my stepdad loves fishing. I just taking them off the hook is like a real issue for me. I just want a glove, just yeah. so I can hold it. It doesn't like I, just, fire out. Yeah, the struggle. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, I guess I'm just thinking about like my my you know my version of like the the boogie van culture was like my my room and I had I don't know how cool you were, but I had and we would like hang out and like listen to shit like Fu Manchu and like inevitably like it'd be my buddy Tweed who who Mark used to know and then some other people and Grind Corcoon and be like, hey man, let's listen to some Pink Floyd. Let's put the black light bulb in. And so I had this fucking giant fat black light bulb that I would unscrew my normal bulb and I put the black light bulb in. I remember putting that thing in a few times, hanging out with girls in my room and thinking it would be like did you ever have romantic, weird. Uh, I had some like makeout sessions. With well, that no, thing like, on. did you see any jizz on your comfort oh, or anything? Uh, from Black Light? That's a great. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think I knew about that. Or your pants was, are just like oh, that God. was like pre CSI. I don't know what the first was. It like was Basic Instinct like the first movie that sort of like alluded to like black light like on sheets. We knew about it before. For some, I didn't know from going that. to raves and shit. Oh well, yeah, I never went to raves. So um, wait, yeah, you like saw the, jizz on, at raves? Well, you'd see uh, or just, spots on people's pants, oh, and you didn't. It was something it was like piss or some organic something. matter. Yeah. It yeah. could be soap. It could be anything. But we just yeah, laughed I guess and I, thought it was jizz no on one, everybody's no pants. No one I was hanging out with was ever looking for that or noticed it to the point where like who knows? You yeah. know, I I think I was a fairly clean person in that regard, but I don't know. But I yeah, I don't know. I don't know what comes up on. Blacklight like outside yeah. of it was just supposed to be cool. Yeah, you know, like yeah. cool atmosphere. Did you have posters? I didn't. I didn't. It's but weird we that just, you'd have the bulb and not I know. The posters. We just thought the. I think we bought it like fucking probably New Moon or something like that. We just bought it like oh this would be cool to own. I was the guy that had the blacklight bulb and we just fucking put it in. I hate. We this didn't do drugs. Now. We yeah. didn't do like it was like we didn't take advantage of anything that blacklight bulbs were supposed to be other than it just it was like a dimmer. It just kind of dimmed the room and gave it like a. They made atmosphere. everybody's teeth look weird. I guess, yeah. But man, so that's my that's my Fu Manchu like uh, pop, you know, like the aesthetic kind of story there. But basically, where I discovered them was Rolling Stone magazine. Oh, that's how we got on this details magazine. Cindy Crawford. Yeah. Um, Cindy's still good looking lady. She does all right. I mean, for fifty something, I watched her fucking House of Style show every week, and it was terrible. What was that? It was on MTV. It was her like fashion show. It was on like at the same time that like oh. real world premiered, but I would watch it. I didn't even know that existed. Just for her, and I would sit through all the segments in middle school, just kind of like lying to myself, saying that I gave a shit about like, oh, they're doing a feature on Todd Oldham's like fucking couch designs. Cool. Like I thought, oh, this is so chic, so fuck it. But I was like, you know, fourteen. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I knew her more, yeah. I think, from her. Uh risque bikini things wow, and stuff. Yeah. But. but that's what got her that was like she started making a lot of MTV appearances, then they gave her own fucking show. Yeah. Then I remember reading about that she was a uh biochemistry major at Northwestern and I was like she's no oh, slouch. She's fucking smart. I was like, oh <laughs> all right. I'm <laughs> yeah. So uh, I like me some smart Not just girls. a good looking lady with a beauty mark. Exactly, exactly. Um Rolling Stone magazine had a review of In Search of, and I never heard of Fu Manchu at this point. I'm pretty sure, and um, I knew Monster Magnet, Clutch. I was into all that kind of stuff, uh, Caius, and they basically said this is one of the heaviest like albums you'll ever hear. And they meant which is exactly what you want to hear as a teenager. Yeah, but it was like heavy in like the, the Black Sabbath sense. And they said like the Falcon has landed is so fucking heavy. It's like uh, 
it's like into the void from black Sabbath, like taken to the next level. And I like kind of understood that I was like, Oh, okay. All right. Like, so I went to warehouse records, which was the rival of the record store Mark and I worked at and sure enough found it and was like, I'll just buy it on a whim and took it home and fucking loved it. You know, uh, Regal Beagle was the first thing I heard. Cause that's the, the, the song that sort of kicks everything off. But, yeah. um, yeah, you know, so Regal Beagle, hang on, I got my, my notes here. Um, What's the reference you think of? Because I know what my reference point is. When oh, I, for the for the title? Yeah. Is it something to do with Happy Days? I think it's, isn't it the uh, Regal Beagle's The Bar from Three's Company? Oh, is that what it is? Pretty I sure. knew it was something from a sitcom, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> we, used to, we used to watch those at Grand Corcoon's house because he didn't have cable. So there would be reruns of Three's Company on at like 3 a.m. when we'd like stay up all night at his house in between Tecmo Bowl. I mean, I used to watch all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But it like, is enough. And but like um, the guy that became the model for uh, for the Family Guy character, who's like really gross, who was like Jack's buddy, who like hung out the Regal Beagle, Larry. Remember the the character Larry with dark hair? He was oh the F- yeah the scumbag scumbag yeah, yeah yeah who's like the quagmire basically is based off of him from Family okay. Guy basically okay. so that's why I, I think just, of Regal Beagle and Larry. I just drew Larry for uh, uh, what the fuck was that? Some commission I had no shit and they said we want a creepy weird dude and that's I just thought yeah. of Larry from Three's Company. Yeah, I yeah, exactly. He's a total fucking pedo- pedophile. Guy. I don't remember what the fuck. I'll have to look at my computer yeah. when I get home. But I mean, you know, that iconic opening, that stuttering kind of riff fill before it kind of locks yeah. in. Um, it's just this iconic sort of stoner rock boogie, you know. I said is, Eddie almost does like Gaz kind of improv type stuff with some of the call and response kind of bluesy yeah. thing that he sort of does with the the flair that he adds at the end of some of the riffs and stuff. I think Eddie and Gaz, like Gaz, like Circle like Cosmic Requiem, like they're kind of locked into that sort yeah, of style, so. you know, a little bit from Cathedral there. Um, and there's just this, like that middle set, that midsection where you get that sort of ZZ top kind of bass, the bass drum. drop. Yep. Yeah. Uh, very cool. Um, then the tempo increases, you know, as more layers of guitar kind of build before you get this kind of sweet leaf kind of roar again at like kind of the two minute mark. Um, it's about driving. That's what the song's about. You know, hell on wheels since the start of time. That's one of the, the great sort of lyrics there. And then uh, Red Line is kind of the shortest tune on the whole record, I think. Just a lot of flange. Uh, That's what you added that one. Yeah, that's the one I added. Some cool, like, pedal effects. I basically said the whole thing sounds like a Hawkwind number mixed with Trace Ombre's ZZ Top, you know, so... (laughs) Um, yeah, I guess if anything, this they probably owe a lot to ZZ Top. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of it's that got a lot beer of drinkers, uh, Hellraisers kind of, yeah. you know, kind of riffs and things. Lagrange, you know, and all just that like kind of subject stuff. matter. Yeah, for it's sure. It's like more lifestyle subject matter than yeah. It's just hanging out, personal getting drunk, and, and doing kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, um, but yeah. So in search of is is just it's it's a, a fun record, and so I'm I'm happy to kind of get into it here. Um, looking to see if there are any more quotes about it before I move on. Do 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 do. Nope. So let's get into it. Let's uh let's keep on let's keep this van rocking. Keep on Mark. keeping on, man. Yeah, let's keep this van a, a rocking. Don't come knocking, guys. Well, you guys can come knocking because you're Patreon. That's true. Yeah, you can. Um, I don't know what the <laughs> fuck I'm talking about. I'm having fun. We're doing a Fu Manchu show, man. You know, what can you do? Um, Sorry, I'm getting my notes. I feel like I'm missing a page from my notes. What did I do here? Oh, that's because it's flipped over. All right. Good thing there's a Patreon show and you guys don't care about mistakes. I always go, uh, I use my old 
papers oh, that do I you? print out. Okay. Well, usually I have like a three and a four, but I had it reversed for some reason on my clipboard. This next set, this is the set for me, um, I would say. This is kind of the the money set in a, in a lot yeah, of ways. Yeah. Um, here you kind of get songs like Neptune's Convoy and Cyclone Launch and, and Stratostreak that all, they really raise the ante in terms of heaviness. I mean, Falcon is Landa is its own sort of heaviness, but this is like where Eddie kind of comes unglued with a lot of his leads and, and they really play with a lot of cool dynamics, some of the quiet loud sort of stuff that yeah, we're going to yeah. kind of get into. You get some cowbell too. Yes, lots of fucking cowbell. Um, we're going to kick off though with Asphalt Rising, which was the single. This was the MTV video. Um, and oh, really? Yeah, so it was pretty cool. Like actually, it wasn't played a lot, but it was like... Was it Headbangers Ball or was it just on normal rotation? Headbangers Ball was canceled by 90, 95 was the last year of Headbangers, and this is 96. So oh, that's shit. They might have had... There was a show for a while called Super Rock for, for people. Yeah, it wasn't that great. No, I have some Super Rock episodes recorded, though, okay. uh, on VHS if we ever want Was it just like grunge stuff? And... Uh, they had an episode where Slayer was on. I remember okay. they were like the co-hosts and stuff. So like it was like a half-ass like, headbangers, but like uh, kind of 120 minutes, headbangers. Main, it, it was kind of weird. Um, Heavy metal's never been a great thing for advertising revenue. It, absolutely. Yeah. Especially for television. <laughs> But uh, you get that iconic opening riff from Asphalt Rising, and he, he says, I got a bo- full board on a frame in the yard, which means he's building a hot rod from scratch, with a hearse shift getting me into four. And a hearse shift mark is an aftermarket shifter that was used by drag racers and got you to fourth gear. Nice. Uh, and the chorus says, a Super C is what I need, and a Super C stands for a supercharger which was a power adder used in drag racing. Um, and so it's kind of, it's got a little bit of uh, like Mad Max Fury Road uh, kind of activity kind of going on here. Spraying some, yeah. some spray paint in their teeth. Exactly. And- yeah. Um, but something else in the second verse that I want to share with you a little bit here. Let me get to it here. Do, 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 do. Uh, so there's that her shift. Yes. So this is the second verse. Okay, this is from that article, Asphalt Rising, which is named after the song. Straight off the line, I'm better every time, which means launching during a drag race. He has a quicker reaction time after each launch. Pull the left lane, supercharge it fine. Hooks are, are, are getting better traction on the left lane, so he has a supercharger further proving the Super C theory. <laughs> Took a fourth try to a star at the right. The fourth pass of the day, he got faster and won. Pushed a button for a ride into the sky. The button is likely either a nitrous or simply starting as drag car. So the song basically describes the joys of building a drag car and the dreams of racing it. So he probably does this stuff. Yeah, probably. To be able, because who else would? I, yeah. Unless he's just a. Unless you know, he's just an aficionado. Really yeah, maybe his dad was kind of into it and shit like that. But, uh, you know, I just, I love the sort of glorious kind of simple, you know, Ruben kind of drum fill after the chorus that gets us back into the next kind of verse and riff. Um, this is distinct, distinctly Americana. For sure. Yes. Which we don't really, there's not a whole lot of, um, I can't think of a whole lot of other bands or much of anything that really embraces the real like Americana of, of old that. Yeah. And I think it's why. Like globalization's kind of like, you know squash some of that stuff to some degree i think it's partially why maybe lately i have really gotten into going back and watching you know a lot of the teen comedies and some of the kind of classic sort of stuff because i think 
it does capture a bygone sort of era. And it's not yeah. me just sort of being like, I realize that the narrative of most of those movies is like middle-class suburban white people. And so it's like, sure. not even like my own experience necessarily, but it, it's just a fascinating like cultural lens into like what the values of that time sort of were. That, Don't like, be a virgin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> fuck you. Yeah, get laid. That's, that's usually what I got in all yeah, those movies. Exactly. Like, man, why are none of my friends ever talking about <laughs> yeah, this yeah, stuff? Because exactly. <laughs> uh, of AIDS. So here's the thing. All right, this is kind of cool, and you'll have to go back and kind of think about this because I'm about to give you a little weird take. Um, Eddie's got a nice solo that accompanies the meaty thickness of Scott's main rift. Okay, you like that meaty thickness? All right, and uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe think of something else. I yeah. said it's like the stoner rock version of Carcass Buried Dreams because Amat's doing all the clean stuff, okay, and Steers doing that, you know, almost like no the love lost, thing. like yeah. kind of thing. So, uh, and Ruben even has some of that innate. Ken Owens kind of catchiness to to some of the things he's doing too, which I think is kind of cool. So, so, so that's my weird illusion that Asphalt Rising is the buried dreams of the stoner rock kind of genre. So for whatever that's worth. I have drum break, comma, cathedral. Oh. How to... So there was a British thing there, if you're here in cathedral. Maybe. How to bang at end? I don't know what that means. I don't know, but I like it. How to bang at the end. Well, if you win the drag race, maybe you'll get some, you get that some hot banging. Chick that's, yeah, yeah. flipping the flag, you know, exactly. then you get to take your top off. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry for... Wait, pa- hey, pardon me. Yeah, we're we're right in like the, the theme of this. You know, there's probably some innate weird away. misogyny that, that's just part of that culture. You know? Sure. Well, um, it used to be the... In the 50s, they'd, they'd take off their handkerchief on their head to, at least in American graffiti and, yeah. you know, happy days, my... About footloose when they have a little chicken race. <laughs> I can't remember what they used for the, the, the chicken yeah. deal there. Then we get to Neptune's Convoy, and I just said, how fucking heavy is Scott's riff at the 50-second mark? When he goes, I feel nothing. Yeah. I mean, it's just boom. Where the space stuff Fuck, kicks in. Fuck, man. I said it's like cosmic planetary heaviness uh, to fit the title. It really reminds me of Monster Magnet, like hugely. It's Monster Magnet, and it's especially clutch space grass. I, I'm not familiar enough with the clutch. That's like, know. that's that's kind of their masterpiece when they're self-titled. But like that just has like this. You've heard it before. It's like is that the it one starts with, with the... like atmosphere and then he's like dodge swing a 1973. What was their chassis. first big hit? Their video. Boom, boom. Uh, Space Grass was pretty big. Escape from the Prison Planet. Um, no. I mean, are you talking the album before like Shogun named Shogun, Marcus? Yeah. That was the. The previous album, yeah. The okay. next album is. I didn't pay attention clutch. to them after that album. That that's that's monstrous. That's good. I just don't. I don't know. There there's something about them that turns me off. I'd like to challenge you to a clutch show sometime, like Solitude Eternus, yeah. where like you have to revisit uh, revisit yeah. that. Yeah, let's, you let's should leave it to. A I couple wish. Albums. I wish I could snapshot <laughs> Mark's Mark's face there. He was not excited about that. But uh, I, I saw them. They uh, they played with Mastodon a couple years ago. Yeah, and they just bore the tits off me. Yeah, I can't. I don't, know what I don't they listen played, to full but... clutch records anymore, but I I think you could throw together like a good twelve song that's like mixed. I'm sure that's pretty fucking yeah. good. Yeah, you know, I, like I guarantee I won't buy any though. Yeah, well, you probably won't. Yeah. You that self titled is pretty fantastic. I think you would dig it. So. I, I, I won't buy it though. Okay, don't don't buy it. Okay, right. now I'm using reverse psychology. I don't Whatever like, you do, don't ever buy it. <laughs> I don't like the. Uh, hey, I, I bought a Crimson Glory record though. Yeah. Hey, I told you. I'm still waiting on it. Did but... you get that Awaken the Guardian yet? 
No, that's the one I'm waiting on. Okay. I heard yeah, it from Germany. what your, your thoughts are on that. Well, that came up again. Just, uh, Fenrez was talking about that. It's like his, one of his and favorite John Perez was talking about oh, it yeah. a lot, too. Yeah, so. yeah it keeps keeps coming up. I was so. like, I'll give that a whirl. It's in the zeitgeist. You know, yeah. Like Metal Church kind of. You know. But nobody's talking about Clutch. Well, I respect people. your opinion, but yeah. there's some things I put my foot down okay. on. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it, episode, it reminds me of Space Episode Grass. 400, we can do yeah, a there clutch you go. show. Well, there we go. We guarantee in episode 400, we'll do a clutch show. So I'll be 55 <laughs> years old. and um, Yeah, and I just said the Monster Magnet-esque guitar effects during the Cosmic Quiet parts. I love all that shit. It's really great. It's very like Volume 4, like Masters of Reality, the, that kind of stuff. I don't know really anybody outside of Sabbath and then Monster Magnet that really did that. That like real like blatantly yeah kind of like space. I'm trying to think of anything out thing. of the the proto metal. Yeah, I, there's especially somebody like, into the '90s. I don't know of anybody. Yeah, nobody in the '80s was really doing that too much. Maybe that Masters Reality band did it a little bit, but they were never I, as I, heavy. I, I don't they really know much about. I've never heard them. I don't yeah. think. I recently picked one of those up. Uh, okay, that's one of the ones that was in the glass case. That when I got that new album. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was the okay. white cover. Yeah, yeah. so. That might have been the one. I think I got the one that has uh, Ginger on it, Baker on drums. Okay. But, um, but yeah, there's a moment around the 315 mark where they do like the, they go from like the sludgy part to like, and in my brain oh, as 315, they do it, the, the 315, swing, the Sabbath yeah, swing. I just said, could this be the end, my friend? That's what I wrote. <laughs> like it's just totally in that moment. You yeah. Know? I'd kind of like to hear a whole record like that. Yeah. Of that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, Basically, the song Neptune's Convoy is about um, a car that's been ridden slow and low, and he's depressed. It's time to soup it up. <laughs> is this from the point of view of the car? Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah. There yeah. we go. Because there's only so much you can write about cars from the outside perspective <laughs> yeah, to like, get inside the yeah. internal mind of the car. Yeah. It's like Christine, <laughs> but like a, a, yeah. a more depressed, a less like, vengeful. Yeah, like a sad Christine. You yeah. Know? It's so, like, oh, this like, car I just, I really want I really wish like Scott would suit me up, you know? So my parents fell in love with this car and then I got it for my car and it's just nobody's sad fucked now. in the back seat lately yeah. and I'm pretty sad right now. Maybe so. you could suit me up, Scott. What do you think, <laughs> buddy? <laughs> oh shit. Now I'm thinking of a weird subplot in the like uh the, the Pixar cars movie. <laughs> this fucking sad. I've still never rock. seen cars. I've seen like the first one. It's one of my least favorite Pixar's. I, I didn't see it because Larry the Cable Guy was on it. Yeah, that's a good reason not to. And see then it. he started doing like those antacid commercials, and I was like, <laughs> it's, it's, "All right, that." that yeah. I mean, that cemented it's, it. It's low level. Pic- it's not like horrible. It's not like a. It's not like the worst Disney movie. It's better than most. Yeah. Like, kind of subpar Disney movies, but it's for Pixar. It's. I, yeah, I feel real they're, low. They're kind of sketchy as of and the fact the last that that one got a like sequel so early. I was like, ah, I think little it was kids hugely popular. I think little kids really like it. So. I'm more into the adult Pixar that like are made. Even for... the kidsy stuff, like early on, kids could dig it. But yeah. then, but it was written smart enough for adults to get the subtext. Yeah, exactly. Then we get Cyclone Launch, um, very mid '90s Cathedral. I said, but with more cowbell. Yep. Um, Ruben's drum introduction before that monolithic riff is just reductive genius. Um, just like that, do 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 do. So fucking good. Um, yeah, but it's kind of in the wizard mold. Yeah, to some degree. it's definitely got some of that. Yep, 90s. Well, in early, ca- wizard had a lot of cathedralism yeah, too. Yeah, especially that yep. first record. Um, I said the song's about the art of supercharging a car. You got lyrics, wire fry a belt blown drive as superchargers are driving by a belt on the car's engine. Um, so that's kind of what's, what's going on there. But yes, it 
I love the way that Scott and Eddie interplay uh, with the guitars and how they do that repetitive pattern of a riff, but then add an engine rev each time. So like it's a, it's the literal like if the last song Neptum's Convoy is from like the perspective of a sad car, this they're literally creating the sounds of like cars racing with their fucking instruments here. It's like kids, Rum. yeah. They just do that like that, that really fucking cool thing. Um, and Glass is just getting wilder and wilder with his sort of call and response mini solos by this point. You know, before he busts out, what I said is the second best solo of the whole record. Um, Ruben fills, they're like classic purple sab fills. They kind of remind yeah. me of some of the deep purple sort of stuff as well. But uh, yeah, Cyclone Launch is, is good shit. And so then we get to Stratostreak, Mark. My favorite Fu Manchu song hands down for me um scott's vocals are so chill here um even during the chorus and this is really eddie's show on this song stratostreak scott's main riff is one big revving engine you can feel the heat and exhaust coming off this especially at the moment between like 42 and 58 seconds that whole thing mm -hmm. i just said is genre perfection it's the coalescence of all the magic before that fucking killer guitar solo I said Nebula is born in this flange, psych, hawkwind glory, but fuck me when Brad's bass takes the song over at 310 and the guitars roar back with uh, Ruben's tempo build. When Scott hits the, I said it all, and he comes back in that pocket singing for like about 10 seconds later, I said it's, it's brief, but for me it's the highlight of the whole fucking album. And the song's about cruising the back roads in a muscle car, so... I've cruised back roads, but never in a muscle car before. Yeah. So what'd you say about the strata? I don't know. Put more Sabbath riff. Mm -hmm. Cathedral was smoking the same stuff. Yes. Uh, nice dueling solo bits. Nice chug toward the end. Last album with uh, Eddie Glass. Yep. And then uh, the end with a good hook. Yes. That's probably that part I talked about, the, the 310 part. That's just fucking great. That's when he says, I said it all. Da, da, da. Or I sold it all. Yeah. I forgot to mention, I'm a real asshole, but luckily our patron fans know that, um, that I think it's after Daredevil. I think I forgot to mention. I have it in my notes. Brad Davis comes in as the new bass player. Um, and What's he come from? Mark Abshire left, um, and Brad Davis came in, and uh, he replaced Abshire right before Daredevil. So... Yeah, so it was after No One Rides for Free, Brad Davis came in. He was a guy that still skateboards. So okay. um, I don't know where he came from, actually. Um, he was probably in some some kind of localized band or whatever. But yeah, so Brad Davis is now the bass player. But Mark Abshire will reappear because he's going to hook up with Ruben and Eddie to form Nebula as a okay. trio. So he's still sort of in the family somewhere. But uh, fuck it, man. Let's, let's, let's get into it. Um, let's go bowling, dude. At, yeah, fuck it, man. Let's go bowling. So we got Asphalt Rising, Neptune's Convoy, Cyclone Launch, and as Nick Green and I have said, the, a perfect fucking song, Stratus Streak. Uh, it's just the, the epitome of, of what Fu Manchu is all about. So enjoy. <laughs> 